uh, wow, it's it's great to be it's great to be back with you here, uh, a, a, attempting this episode that we have tried so many times before. Indeed, indeed. Are are, are we just starting? I think we are. <laughs> I, I we can we can cut any of this uh, and then and then do the real start. Um, right, no, or, no, no. That, that, what if what if we just what if we just try to fail our way into this podcast? <laughs> Fail. No one has ever uh, uh, wrongfully accused us of failing upwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Peter principle of uh, of uh, podcasting. Just just kick us off. Yeah. So um, I was going to give like a, a, a little kind of punch here at the beginning, and then I was going to tell a thing, and then we were going to crush this podcast. Um, this is our podcast on failure. So I wanted to tell a little story, a little a little myth uh, fragment. Because I, I think it underlies a lot of Western conceptions of failure and a lot of the ways that we think about failure in the modern tech world specifically, which I find really fascinating. But it does require like just a minute to tell. All right. Well, uh, I will give you exactly that minute and uh, <sighs> take it away. Okay. So there's this guy, King Minos. A, he he kind of makes this deal with Poseidon. He's like, hey, Poseidon, we live by the ocean. It's really great. Poseidon's like, hey, I think you're really great. Here's this awesome, really beautiful manly bull. And Minos is like, hey, I really love this manly bull. Um, Poseidon's like, why don't you go ahead and sacrifice for me since you, since you love me so much? And Minos is like, oh, awkward. And he doesn't sacrifice the bull. And then Poseidon is like, awkward for you because now I'm going to make your wife fall in love with the bull and want to have sex with it. Um, and so... His wife goes and gets this mechanical bull built, uh, I guess mechanical cow, <laughs> sorry, um, and then the bull copulates with her, and then she gives birth to a minotaur, and then King Minos is like, oh, this is super awkward, I'm going to have to get a labyrinth built for this minotaur now, so that I can put him in the center of the labyrinth and feed young, beautiful Athenians to him. And so you might be asking, what does this have to do with technology and failure? What I would say is, in this story, you actually needed a brilliant tech mind to build a mechanical cow and a hyper-complex labyrinth. And the, the builder of those things was a person named Daedalus. So obviously, King Minos now has the, the greatest inventor of Grecian, Grecian mythology, Daedalus, trapped in a tower. He doesn't want to get him to get out because he doesn't want him to leak the secret of how to navigate the labyrinth. Um, Daedalus is up in this tower with his son Icarus. He's like, nuts to this, I'm going to invent wings that humans can use to fly. Hey, Icarus, I've got these awesome wings. Just one... Uh, see, now mm, I'm entering the part of the story that I actually know about. One little caveat to these wings. Don't fly too high or too low. So they start flying. Icarus gets really excited by being able to fly. He flies up towards the sun. The wax on his wings melt, and he falls into the ocean uh, and drowns. And this is mostly how people interact with the Daedalus and Icarus mythology, this moment of, of supreme invention and supreme failure simultaneously, that in the moment of his, his greatest ingenuity of, of making man fly, he also accidentally sort of murders his own child. Um, and this is like this, this moment of failure, of this twinned failure slash success. Is this how we think about failure now with tech companies, which always kind of play upon this myth of sort of you fail as part of this evolutionary process towards um, towards ultimate success. And this becomes incorporated in all kinds of self-narratives that tech companies use. 
this is Darian Bates. And this is Dr. Tobias Wilson-Bates. And this is The Stories We Tell Our Robots. It's the podcast about how we make our technology. And how our technology makes us. Well, well, first of all, welcome back. Um, that was a it was a fun pod last week with uh, Peter Kaiser. Um, this week is um, obviously we're we're talking about failure, and it is part two of our um, two guys in a garage series, all about the narratives that define uh, companies, the origin stories. And this this week obviously is is about failure. I love when you brought up this idea. First of all, I love the fact that we have tried to do this podcast. This would be our third <laughs> attempt at this. Um, yeah, this is it. Which feels apropos. Um, but I love this idea of this podcast. Um, I think when we were talking about kind of the this series of the these stories that define technology companies, obviously um, in our first episode in this series, we talked about kind of these these genesis myths. Like what are the tropes of the companies that you know, right at the point of origin. Mm -hmm. Um, but this point about failure is, is if, if the Genesis stories and if the garage itself is kind of this, this point of creation, failure in some ways is from a, from a narrative structure standpoint, kind of like that, that key battle, right? That key thing that then tests the metal and ultimately, um, kind of defines the future success of the company, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and people like Walt Disney and Steve Jobs, this seems baked into some of the most uh, sort of important kind of cultural technological figures uh, towards their own sort of self-mythologizing about the the failures, the kind of the fall from grace that they experienced that ultimately was, was key to their great success. Exactly. And I think the term, I think, mythologizing or even myth- in general, I think is really uh, appropriate for this topic because I think the first thing I'd love to bring up here is the idea that um, nobody in technology, in the tech world right now, nobody is currently failing. Oh, That's neat. not to say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nope, nope. It's, it's Unalloyed success is all of us, um, which is not to say that people aren't struggling. It's not to say that looking back uh, 18 months from now, uh, they won't have discovered that they, in fact, happen to have failed at this time. But nobody is currently in this moment failing, despite what hashtags get thrown about by our president. But how is that possible, given that how failure that seems so important to these people's stories? Right. Given that, given that every tech company seems to have a compelling story of failure before they reach their ultimate success. Um, and I think it's because... Because failure is one of those things that while um, tech companies, I think, have kind of really embraced this concept of failure I, in, in um, one of the, the things that you hear from every tech company. And I think if you, if you Google, I think we did this uh, the last time we did this podcast when we failed at it. When you Google, <laughs> uh, when you Google like key failures in tech companies or something like that, I think you end up some search term like that or failures that led to success for tech companies, you end up with like 498,000 results. Like it's almost, uh, it's almost hard to find um, narratives of tech companies that don't have kind of crucial failures baked into their mythology. 
Um, but actually, at any given point, it's actually really counter to what most tech companies are doing for them to be failing in the moment. Yeah, right? Pre- present failures are not okay. Um, and the reason is, is, is all has to do with what tech companies, um, kind of how they function, how they, how they exist. So if you picture like a, what we think of as our traditional company, um, let's say a, let's say a, a car manufacturer. I was about right? to say this, that this is, this is, a, I want to phrase this as a question because you actually got past me there. <laughs> oh, I slipped, I slipped around. Why isn't a car manufacturer a tech company? It is producing ah. technology. Right. Well, right. It's such a it's such an interesting point because tech companies in some ways refer to they're almost the term tech company is almost defined in opposition to another kind of company. So tech companies, while it says they sound like, well, any so many companies use technology or make technology even. But tech companies are companies that are not manufacturing companies or and are not service companies. Right. It's almost like you had these other companies figured out and then they added tech companies in the later stages as a different genre of company. So the reason why auto companies aren't tech, aren't tech companies has largely uh, to do with the fact that automobile companies are manufacturing companies. And so is, is Tesla a manufacturing rather than a tech company? Ah, see, I think I, I would argue that Tesla is a tech company and, and it functions exactly like a tech company. Um, and in some ways, while the, the name itself might have been added on at some point to really kind of capture the IT boom or the, the information technology boom of um, kind of the late 90s, I think it's come to really refer more to the kind of financial structure of these organizations and how they are funded and how they kind of survive and how they are evaluated. Um, good, from a, good. From a this performance is, dimension. This is exactly what I want from you, because part, part of my dissertation was all about uh, the novel as a technology, uh, right, right it, it, that, that is able to kind of transmit information, it's mass produced, it has like this series of, of sort of industrial style, like editorial curators and producers, um, but like no people would call the novel a technology right now. And it's so interesting that not even a, a like Ford would be considered a tech company. Um, right. So tell me about this financial construction that that makes makes this object different. Well, one of the big things about tech companies in general is that they are heavily financed by um, speculative capital, and I guess you could use you could say they are heavily financed by investment capital. It doesn't have to be speculative. Kind of refers to an even kind of um, more risky form of of capital but they're they're largely investment funded yeah and, and I, was, means... I was just reading a piece about how retirement funds and 401ks love tech right right um especially kind of bigger tech where tech that is fairly established um it's you know it's liquid like any kind of equity is um but it's also really growth oriented and so tech companies um are really based around this idea of kind of mass scalability and almost instant scalability, right? Like that that term scalable over and over is kind of you you hear this as um, this thing could this thing could blow up overnight. And manufacturing companies have a hard time just kind of blowing up overnight, right? Like the Snapchat when it went um, public, I believe had thirty five employees when it so went public and made like billions of dollars on the stock market. Oh, so wow. just to give you an right, exactly the the amount of people it takes, the amount of infrastructure it requires, um, versus the 
amount of money that that company can make very quickly. The scale up speed is just so fast. And that in many ways has defined the tech company. But the other thing that has often defined the tech company is, is fairly disappointing um, profits. Tech companies tend not to show substantive profits, um, sometimes for a very long time. I think, it, I think Twitter showed its first annual profit uh, in 20, at the end of 2016, following um, kind of the, the political revolution of Twitter um, with, the, with the advent of Donald Trump. I think yeah. up until then, Twitter had um, was a s- substantial company, was was you know generating a lot of revenue in all sorts of ways, and was certainly attracting a lot of um, investment income. So um, would you really would you say that these companies profits. can fly really high, really fast? Not only would I say that they would fly really high, really fast, I would say that on my drive home from the office today, I heard. Um, Somebody referred to the most recent decline in uh, tech stocks as being kind of an Icarus. Um, <laughs> that they, people are, that investors us. are worried about everyone flying just a little bit too high right now. Man, if we'd, know, only, if we'd only done this podcast three weeks ago when I was sick. We would have been ahead of it. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's, so that's one piece about it. But if you think about how investment works, rather than a car company, so I guess my whole point about bringing that up is rather than a car company and what it relates to failure um, or how it relates to failure, um, if you think about how a car company operates, it needs to, your interest in buying a Toyota or a Ford or a GM or whatever has very little to do with how well you think the company is going to do, mm-hmm. right? You don't think, you don't, you don't necessarily, I'm not going to buy a Ford because their financials are weak, right? And so Ford's general ability to survive on an, in an, on an ongoing basis is heavily related to whether it can sell more cars and generate right. revenue in that way. Sure, you can buy Ford stock and things like that, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of interest in, um, obviously, in, in the equities market to buy and sell kind of these blue chip stocks like um, autom- automobile manufacturers. But for the most part, um, their ability to operate on a daily basis is largely divorced from um, the, the feelings that people have about the future of the company. Tech companies, on the other hand, are heavily reliant on their ability to generate more, um, more investment. Many tech companies are in this kind of seed stages and very, or, um, you know, mezzanine phases or kind of there's, there's a whole set of phases that you can talk to in sort of investment funding. And many companies that we think of as being fairly mature are still in some stage of investment. They're still, Mm -hmm. in fact, bringing in investment capital and they're using that investment capital for their operations. And what that means is that in order for them to continue, they cannot be failing. They have to be continuing to support this narrative about their future potential. So even if they're not generating revenue, that's not failing. If they're hemorrhaging subscribers, that's not failing. If they are you know, killing people in Arizona, that's not failing. Right? These are yeah. All, yeah. all things that you could indicate something is going wrong, but, they, but it, would never, it can never really be embraced as a failure. And yet the minute a company reaches another level of success, it can go back to those moments and anchor their failure at those points 
so that it can then use that failure to then support their newfound success and that they can now validate their success off of that past failure. And even more, it seems like you can also validate your success off of the failure of parallel companies as well, right? Like that's sort of the whole internet bubble. Right, exactly. And in some ways, failure is always um, relative. And there is kind of a social Darwinism to failure in the tech industry. There's this idea that the companies that have succeeded um, really kind of earned their success, that they were the strongest, they were the best, and uh, kind of quality will out. Is that true? Well, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we we can cut this bit. <laughs> I'm actually well, curious. Well, no, I, it's a really good point. I think, um, you know, there's a study that the um, Center for European Economic Research shows, or that they did, that shows, um, kind of looks at this this myth of failure and whether whether people that fail are more likely to succeed later. They took their lumps, they figured it out, and now they're on their way to success. And the study showed that um, people that ran um, past successful companies are no more likely to succeed than just somebody um, starting a company for the first time. They say, okay, well, that doesn't indicate that failure. Maybe they needed to have failed, right? But the, mm-hmm. the study also showed that people who failed on their first company are actually more likely to fail than somebody who's starting a company for the first time. That actually <laughs> failing one time makes you not more likely to succeed the next time, actually makes you more likely to fail the next time. So it actually it directly refutes this idea that you somehow, that failure kind of makes you better. In fact, if anything, if, you're, if, you, if you are a failure, in tech, the likelihood that you will be the first time around, the likelihood that you'll be a failure the second time around, statistically at least, goes up. So if we if we took three imagined characters, so after after this first flight, somehow Icarus swims to shore, and we have Daedalus who succeeded at flying, Icarus who failed at flying, and new guy Illus who has never flown before, the most likely outcomes would be Daedalus and New Guy would have about the same chances at success, and Icarus would probably fail again. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. That is that is what the study shows. Is is Icarus <laughs> may not be getting across that ocean ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, Aww. what's interesting to me then is to go back to this idea about why why this powerful myth in um, technology, particular that that failure somehow begets success. Like, mm-hmm. why is it really important that failure is this kind of the central point in so many of these stories that we tell about our kind of innovators and our um, kind of tech personalities and, and big companies that succeeded? And I think you're always trying to quantify what you're doing and where you are as you're running a business. Mm-hmm. And you're always trying to place it relative to something. You're always trying to understand kind of how it fits into the world. And... It's very hard to kind of find an apples to apples comparison in any company, but it is very easy to find yourself placed relative to kind of past experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people are always trying to, and I can, you know, speaking from personal experience here, you're, you're always trying to, at any given point, frame your current state as kind of an elevated state 
um, to a time that came before, right? There's this, this, this powerful narrative that you're trying to draw that anything that um, happened previously, it's not that you disavow it. It's like, of course it would be that way. That was the yeah. struggle that ultimately led to my success. And it allows you to continue to, you know, there's this thing in investment where if you ever, if you ever um, look at a prospectus for investment, it says, um, you know, it'll show you a chart of how the stock has performed over time. And it says, well, um, past results do not guarantee future success or, you know, something along those lines that we have this tendency to want to look at past performance to, to judge what is the likelihood that um, things are going to work. And in many cases, the, the past performance of most tech companies in particular, just, just, first of all, isn't that long. Second of all, isn't that compelling? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I was thinking this is a little bit of a tangent to wrap back around. New Yorker just did a fascinating piece about uh, sort of prosecutors and the problem with the sort of prosecutorial system in the United States and about mm -hmm. how there's no incentive for justice necessarily, there's, but there's a massive incentive for winning mm -hmm. um, because you're, you kind of get elected to things like DA appointments or you get like promoted based on how many cases you've won, not based on whether or not you won cases that were just or anything like right. that. And so there's this right. negative feedback. I think about Facebook's sort of various non-apologies over mishandling users' data. It's never like, mm -hmm. oh, we failed at that. We, don't, right. we, we didn't know what we're doing. We downplayed this thing. The Bosworth memo was really startling. But rather, oh, well, this is part of building the best possible innovation for you. Right, right. Well, and I, you know, I do, you know, we can kind of look at, these very self-interested um, reasons to, for failure to be defined as it's defined now. Um, but I'm also very interested in kind of the narrative structure, almost like you need a failure point to make a more kind of compelling story, right? Like yeah. the stories suck that just start like, he was pretty good and then he got better and then he won. It's not a great um, kind of dramatic arc. Yeah, and there's there's a couple good directions to go with this. I mean, Aristotle, of course, is sort of the natural one of somebody who who looked to produce this idea of like every story contains a beginning, middle, and end. What is a beginning? What is a middle? What is an end? Right? Like, and then he builds these sort of proto models in his poetics about what do we think is tragedy, what do we think is is comedy, and this kind of stuff. Um, but I find another really interesting person to go to is uh, the the theorist Walter Benjamin, who. Hmm. In his, in his book, the, the Storyteller, he talks about how life only becomes transmissible at death. It's the, the moment at which life becomes a story um, because you have an ending, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, I, I mean, just to use uh, a name that's a little bit in the news right now because his trial is starting up again after a mistrial. But think about someone like Bill Cosby. Mm -hmm. And he, if, if he had died 15 years ago and none of these allegations had ever come to light, um then he would just seem like a cultural pillar, you know? Right. But right. now, like, he faces the possibility of his legacy stained as he dies, like a, a, a I disgrace. I think he's probably beyond possibility at this point. I yeah. Think, I think <laughs> yeah, can, I'm not sure. You can say that legacy is pretty well stained at this point. There would be some real deus ex machina to help <laughs> reverse that. It was all Russian <laughs> exactly. propaganda. Russian fake news. Yes. <laughs> um. But suddenly that's a totally different story, you know? Right. 
suddenly it's a fall from grace as opposed to, you know, a, a, a rise to success. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not sure if this really helps a little bit, but maybe gives a little bit of a, an interesting version of, of why at any given moment a tech company so dependent upon investment would be staving off <laughs> that, that like, no, this isn't an ending. No, this isn't right. an ending. You know? Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I think there's, you know, there's other aspects. And we talked a bit about this last, um, last, uh, you know, episode in the series. We talked about the idea that in many cases, the tech company is, is in fact, their business is their myth in many ways. Mm -hmm. Their business kind of is this future world they may someday create. And that the whole world needs to buy into this future possible world for their business to actually be, um, maybe to be viable at all, certainly to warrant the kinds of investments that they've been raising. Yeah, right? and, I mean, and I think about that. Like, if you bought a Ford, in some ways, you're you're tied to that object. You're you're invested in that object. You will only get like sort of your maximum benefit out of that object if you continue to use it for the life of like the kind of purchase you know that you've right. made. Facebook. Yep. I could I could get off of Facebook tomorrow and never return to it, and right. everybody could, and that's right. That's what the entire business is modeled on. Right, exactly. It's like it's like the kind of the Dutch tulip thing, one step removed, right? Because the Dutch tulip thing was people were investing in these assets that were in of themselves um, fairly worthless, right? Or, or mm -hmm. they were, you know, they were worthless only to the degree that people like tulips. Um, the idea Facebook does provide a value, but it only provides the value to the degree that people continue to wake up and and do the same thing that they were doing the day before, right? So it's mm -hmm. it's it's one it's one step more entrenched than tulips, which could just evaporate in terms of their speculative value. It is the case that it is not only the company that is interested in perpetuating the this is not a failure, this is just a bump on the way to success narrative. It's everybody who is also invested in those stocks, right? Yeah. Because those assets are highly speculative in many cases, very few people want those things to be failing at any point. Sure, certainly you have people who are enjoying the schadenfreude right now of watching Facebook struggle, but there's actually a lot more people who they're just looking for it to hit some sort of bottom so they can pick it back up. There's, there's something that's fundamentally, you could say either it's blindly optimistic or fundamentally like positively optimistic about kind of the U.S. market system that really wants its companies to continue to succeed. And in many cases, in many cases, the investment is such that ostensibly that thing is going to continue. You buy an asset expecting for it to continue to show profit growth every single year. Yeah. And one reason I told the entire Icarus Daedalus story and not just the bit about the wings, because mm -hmm. um, what I find is so... you like bulls? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because Cause yeah. you're a Taurus? <laughs> bestiality god fighting you know <laughs> half bull cannibalism it, it's just There's something for everyone yes this is it this is how we get our listeners right, um, exactly no but what it, i thought daedalus throughout the beginnings of that story is complicit in some of the worst crimes in grecian mythology like it, you know there's this hmm. whole thing with like Theseus goes across the sea to fight the Minotaur to kill like uh, you know it's devouring people every year and and he he is the technologist who builds the bull for the Minotaur to be created and also oh, the labyrinth really where these youths are sacrificed like 
that you, it, it, it's sort of like in and, and it's was and Menos Minos the king is invested in Daedalus even though Daedalus built a mechanical bull so his wife could copulate with a oh my gosh <laughs> that's really interesting I, like just what you're just saying is essentially like while we've identified um kind of this iconic failure for Daedalus as essentially being the melting of the of Icarus's wings you could make the case that the the most damage that Daedalus did was in fact not the failure of the wings but it was it was his success at i guess whatever whatever kind of yeah at being husband, com- complicit he has been a part of yeah it, his success at being complicit with like monstrosity enacted by those in power monstrosity that would not have been possible without those technologies hmm that's really interesting because it's it's interesting thinking of it in terms of not just Facebook, um, although they are certainly the whipping boy these days. But, well, I um, think the the Bosworth memo was so where he's like, maybe some people will get bullied and they'll commit suicide, but we connect on. Like maybe terrorists will use our platform to stage attacks, but we still connect people. And right. you're like, give a little bit more context to the Bosworth memo. I'm not sure oh, that everybody yeah. is. Uh, so Andrew Bosworth, who was a uh, pretty high-level executive at Facebook several years ago, circulated an internal mem- memo. It's essentially a Facebook post that circulates internally, um, where he speculated on all the damage that Facebook could do, but how connecting people, the basic impulse of Facebook, is a de facto good. So anything right. else that Facebook happens because of Facebook is excused by this basic impulse. Uh, afterwards, they've tried to retract it by saying it was satire and that it was controversial. But these seem very after the fact and, and very mm-hmm. sort of kind of half excuses for what is essentially an, an open acknowledgement of Facebook of the very issues that it's now pretending to be surprised by. Right, right. Well, and that's what's so interesting is that like the things the way we categorize failure. And I guess this is sort of a, um, a final point that I always think is interesting is that um, failure, I mean, short of the company literally having to kind of close its doors and fire everybody, mm-hmm. like in, in many places, failure, it's like companies tend not to die. They tend to get acquired. They tend, especially companies that have a fair amount of sort of assets to them, they just tend not to die really easily right i guess toys r us most recently just kind of shuttered all its stores or is in the process of shuttering all its stores whatever and that's that's kind of a high profile death but in some ways that's the exception that proves the rule just so few of these companies die in those ways um just think about how many times like like aol continues to be purchased and merged and like these companies keep forming and reforming and reforming, you know, what is failure ultimately? And I think that's one of the things that you do, particularly in a kind of a younger company, is you keep trying to formulate what is your version of failure and success in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, I have a, a friend, actually, um, Ignis- uh, Stefan Muirhead from Ignition 72, who was on, on our VR podcast, talked about how, you know, when he, when he started um, Ignition 72 with a couple partners um, over a decade ago, one of the things he said was like, well, if we make it three years, that'll be a success, right? And it's like he created this this point in time that he could say that 
by that point, it's not a failure. And it's, mm -hmm. that's a totally arbitrary number, right? There are other people who would say, well, three years isn't enough. Five years would be enough. Ten years would be enough. If we never make a million dollars a year in revenue, it's we'll never we won't be a success. Like everyone can kind of attach their arbitrary definition of success, but there's all these ways in which companies, because they're kind of these, especially companies that get bigger, on sort of these perpetual entities that keep getting invested in and sold and just you know kind of folded into something else and their assets taken over by something else it's like i think one of the really hard things is to ever really pin down what failure actually would be no no but if if we can't pin down what we're talking about then how can we ask our signature question and what is that is this apocalypse or utopia Ah, all right. Apocalypse or utopia? So, so I guess the question for me, or maybe the, the, the what is apocalypse or utopia relative to failure, I think is this kind of combined allergy to failure in the one hand, and at the same time, this obsession with failure as this thing on the other hand, is this mixed messaging around failure and our companies really, really bad in some ways? Yeah, that's good. So the semantic confusion that comes from misidentifying failure, that's, that was the super jargony way of saying it. <laughs> right, right. But, but yeah, no, but words got to mean words, right? And when you, start, when you start creating failure as both the thing that everybody needs to do to be successful, and at the same time, the thing that can never happen to you because then you, your company won't succeed because it won't have investment capital, whatever, like, like this idea that there's something that everyone talks about and it's never there. Well, why don't I kick us off? So after I just kind of, you know, threw out there kind of all these potential, you know, or indicated sort of my ambivalence about this. However, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it like a six and a half. Nice. That it Decimals. Is a, it is, yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, this is how we keep it live here. <laughs> <laughs> Did he just fraction that thing? Why? <laughs> exactly. No, I, but I, I think it's six and a half and, I, and almost seven. Um, so why don't I say seven? Why don't I say, let's keep it whole numbers. Um, all right. we, can, we can deviate later. Um, and here's why. Because I, I think there's all sorts of potential issues, you know, as, as we raise the possibility that there might be around kind of creating this thing that is never a thing, but is sort of always a thing that you're kind of worried about. Nice. Good. But on the other hand... I'm not entirely certain, like, this may be a delusion that we tell ourselves, but I think about human achievement as having to really push through failure, right? And, and I think that, and this is going to come across as fairly Darwinian, I suppose, but the idea that people just wouldn't do this if we didn't have this kind of myth built around this failure that you're feeling, this thing that you're feeling inside that feels like it's, it's not working, it's not coming together, just keep going, right? And I mm. think it's one of those things that I think American business, I think more so than business in many other companies, you know, I mean, in many other countries, um, is very good at this startup thing. I think very few countries have the same kind of dynamic, innovative environment that the United States has. It is one of the few places where actually our exceptionalism holds true, in fact. Um, 
And I think it's because we have this push through failure. And if you just take this kind of starkly realistic idea of what your actual likelihood to succeed is, you're not going to do it. You're going to go, you're going to go be like the French and <laughs> go enjoy life and go sit and have great coffee and, you know, in, enjoy your Citroen. I don't know what else, <laughs> what else do they, what other cars do they make? You know, you're going to, you're going to enjoy this, this craft of life that never that that isn't as innovative and isn't as edgy and isn't as isn't as obsessed with pushing into the the possible void and i think mm-hmm. that you could say well a lot of a lot of stuff has kind of a lot of negative things have happened because of that push but i also think it's like that's human progress and i think that human progress needs to sort of say just like kind of the people who you know went in the water and went off and found Easter islands or, you know, you know, the the people that explored the world, like a lot of people died doing that. And yet people thought they could succeed and they kept doing it. So that's, I I just feel like it may be disingenuous, but it's maybe the only thing I hold on to sometimes. Yeah. I also think about Easter Island, but more the horrifying climate change dystopia of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cutting down all the trees to build monuments and then suddenly it's a useful finding reference point yeah <laughs> uh i'd say this is kind of like a three um and, and i say that i i hear what you're saying and i think those are really valid points and and it is the sort of exciting part uh you know working here at georgia tech it's so exciting to see the kinds of things that are happening the the adventure prize competition is going on right now which is a fascinating uh, sort of combination of of academic research and you know kind of business investment and you know kind of speculative inventions and this sort of thing, but what I worry about is really you know half bull cannibals, <laughs> like that that part of the sort of self mythologizing and part of the the difficulty of of these sort of titans of these industries kind of changing their own stories and coming up with these sort of ideas about failure and this kind of stuff is that they sort of escape culpability um, Mm. with themselves and sometimes completely. I mean, Walt Disney, well, it's terrible. He was terrible to his workers. He was terrible ideologically. He continues to haunt copyright law because of Mickey Mouse staying in copyright, which is right. not worth talking about, but it's terrible for scholars trying to access material from the earliest 20th century. So this is all to say that, like, the the these stories, these kind of fake failures and the things that they hide and the things that they excuse can can quickly become monstrous, can quickly become monsters. Hmm. Uh, in ways that I think can sometimes uh, actually do do more harm than the innovation can do good at times. Right. It 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 does have this possibility of kind of creating the like the the family that has a big secret to hide and it just kind of eats eats itself from the inside out. Right. Like the the kind of the failure that you can't name, um, and everybody's anxiety about really really acknowledging that in any given moment, like the company may or may not, may not be working and you can't acknowledge any kind of failure in the present. Yeah. They just take that failure and they hide it in the middle of a labyrinth. <laughs> right. I, I thought we determined that the Minotaur was a success. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. 
I mean, if, that, if, that horrible, horrible success. I was going to say, yeah, when it comes to consuming young Athenians, it was amazing. <laughs> it's great. True fact. Um, but yeah, I think we did it. I think we, we have cleared up all the difficulties of this mythology. Exactly. I'd, I'd like to think, now looking back on our past attempts to do this, that <laughs> this one, I'd like to think that this one is, in fact, the successful one. Yeah, I in think fact, we did it. It feels even more gratifying and glorious, uh, given our past failures. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to call this a ten. Nice, ten of the podcast is a ten. Uh, <laughs> if you are rating from home, I think it's only a one to five scale, but uh, give us a ten. Um, so yeah, so 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 next week we're gonna to the third part of our. I think will be a three part series: two guys in a garage, um, and this is going to be. Clim- climactic pivot or pivotal climaxes yeah so this is going to be yes this is going to be that that yeah i think we're uh i think we we've we've done it we've we've done all the damage we can do here yeah <laughs> but didn't fail but no, but still not a fail fit not right. a fail brilliant well i'll talk to you next time sir talk to you later all right love you love you too all right bye, bye.